Well, good morning, church family, uh, here in per- person, out on the patio, and online as well. Uh, you know, some people seem to love the idea of the Bible more than they actually love what's actually written inside of it. Um, but if we're honest, even if we love what's inside the Bible, there are parts of the Bible that bother us sometimes. And I'm not so much talking about the parts that are hard to understand, although there are parts that are hard to understand. I'm talking about the parts of the Bible that we encounter in a sermon or, or, or when we're reading it on our own that challenge our beliefs, that call into question our values, or that may confront our actions. If we're honest, that bothers us sometimes. After all, the Bible itself says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that part of the reason the Bible was given was to teach, rebuke, correct, and train us. And so if a Christian never feels rebuked or corrected by what they read or what they hear in the Bible, they're either not reading it very much or they're reading it very selectively. Well, we're currently in a series called Faith Work through the Bible's book of James. And this last week, we launched our six-week FaithWork small groups, and I'm really excited to share with you that we have over 250 people participating in these six-week small groups. We can celebrate that. Um, 67 of those people are either new to Glenkirk small groups or they're in a brand new small group. And so I am praying for God to do some amazing things over the next six weeks of these faith work small groups. And thanks for leaning into those. Um, But today we reach a section in the book of James that really bothered a very famous Christian leader. The Christian leader I'm talking about is a guy named Martin Luther. Luther was a German pastor who led the Reformation in Germany in the 1500s. And uh, the civil rights leader, Martin Luther King Jr., was named after Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer. And Luther's leadership not only transformed the Christian church in Germany, but it also sparked a cascade of other reform movements in places like Scotland, where the Presbyterians came from, and places like Switzerland and England and throughout Europe. Luther is one of the most influential Christian leaders in church history. And he said a lot of good things It's hard to overestimate his positive influence on the church. But Luther was not perfect. And he was deeply bothered by the book of James. In fact, he once speculated that the author of James wasn't even a Christian. Um, That James might have been a non-Christian Jewish person who put in a few references to Jesus just to confuse the Christians who read his book. Uh, He banned the book of James from being taught in schools in Germany. And when Luther came to translate the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into German, he briefly considered leaving James out, although he eventually reluctantly did include it. Luther loved the idea of the Bible, but he didn't love the book of James. Today we're going to talk about faith work in action. 
from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. And in this passage, we're going to see what bothered Martin Luther so much about James. And along the way, I hope that we see that the parts of the Bible that make us uncomfortable, like this part made Luther uncomfortable, are just as important for us as the parts of the Bible that comfort us. Um, So, why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word today? If you are able, would you stand with me? And um, let me just read verses 14 through 26 of James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds." You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Oh, foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous not by what they do or is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You can be seated. This is the word of God for us today. James has been building to this all along. Again and again so far, he's called us to express our faith in action. Action like persevering during hard times. Resisting temptation, being a doer of the word instead of a mere hearer of the word, restraining our anger, caring for the vulnerable, ridding ourselves of the sin of favoritism. All of these are actions or what James calls deeds or in some translations works. In fact, I titled this series Faith Work, one word, because for James, faith and work can't be separated. They're intertwined with each other. Luther believed verse 24 of our reading today contradicted what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament book of Romans. So let's set those verses side by side. And I'm putting them in a different translation, the New Revised Standard Version, just because I think that captures the difference a little bit. Verse 24 says, you see that a person is justified, or the NIV had made righteous, it means made right with God, by works and not by faith alone. 
But in Romans 3.28, Paul says, For we maintain that a person is justified, same word, made righteous, made right with God, by faith apart from the works of the law. So which is it? Is it our faith apart from works that makes us right with God? Or is it our faith along with our works that makes us right with God? Now to Luther, verse 24 of James chapter 2 sounded a lot like the works-based message that some of the leaders of the medieval Roman Catholic Church were teaching back in his day. And Luther couldn't see how both of these verses could be true. And so forced to choose, he chose Paul over James and concluded that James was wrong. But if we look closely, I think we we find that Luther missed the point that James is making. So let's look closely at this section. Let's start by defining the word faith. The Greek word translated faith in this passage um, is a Greek noun, the noun pistis. Pistuo is the verb form. Pistis is the, the noun. And this noun occurs 243 times in the New Testament, 11 times just in the section that we read today. And this noun means believing in something to the extent of complete trust and reliance on the object of faith. And the faith here is a reference to Christian faith, faith in Jesus, the kind of faith that results in a reconciled relationship with God, the kind of faith that justifies us, that makes us right with God. Now, you've heard me say this before, but it bears repeating here that there are three essential parts to this kind of faith, knowledge, agreement, and trust. First, there's knowledge. You can't have faith in someone you don't know anything about. And the Bible is our source of knowledge about Jesus. The Old Testament gives us the stories and the promises that look forward to Jesus. And the New Testament gives us the account of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension back to heaven and His promise to return again. But after knowledge comes agreement. Agreement happens when a person believes what the Bible says about Jesus is true. They say, I I may not understand everything the Bible says about Jesus, but I believe what it says about him is true. And so whenever we confess our faith together, when we say the Apostles' Creed together at a baptism, we are expressing agreement, the second part of faith. But then, after knowledge and agreement comes trust. When we trust, we personally commit our lives to what we believe to be true about Jesus. Back to the definition of that Greek noun, we believe in Jesus to the extent of complete trust and reliance upon Jesus. Building on knowledge and agreement, trust is what brings us into a relationship with Jesus. Rather than knowing about Jesus because we have the facts, we come to know Jesus because we trust Him. And when we trust, we surrender our lives to His Lordship, and we begin a journey, lifelong journey of becoming a fully devoted disciple or follower of Jesus. Authentic Christian faith is going to have all three of these aspects, knowledge, agreement, and trust. Now, James is asking us here, what good is it if a person claims to have this kind of faith, 
but they have no action or no deeds that come from that faith. And the implied answer to his question is, it's not good at all. James then asks whether this kind of faith, the claim to faith that has no action, can really save a person from their sins. And the implied answer is no, it can't. That faith without deeds, faith without action is somehow incomplete. It's not saving faith. It's stopped short somehow. In verse 15, James gives us an example. He says, uh, one Christian sees another Christian, a brother or sister in Christ, who doesn't have any food or clothing. But instead of giving their Christian brother or sister uh, a coat to keep them warm that night or um, um, some groceries so they can eat that night, the first Christian says to the second, I sure hope you're warm tonight and I sure hope you're well fed. And then they walk away. James says, what good is that? And of course, the implied answer is it's not. Well wishes for a member of our own church who's in dire need when all we do is wish them well is no good at all. And James says this is an example of faith that has no action. This kind of faith that cannot save. This kind of faith, James says, is dead. A, a mortician can make a corpse look lifelike, but a corpse still has no life. And likewise, faith without deeds is dead. In verse 19, James actually appeals, uh, seems to be alluding to an ancient Christian creed. Um, this creed comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and might. Jewish people recited this creed every day in the morning and in the evening, twice a day. In fact, according to Bible scholar Scott McKnight, the earliest Christians also recited, recited this creed, but they added the command to love your neighbor as yourself. So James seems to be saying in verse 19, you recite your creed that there's only one God, and that's good because you're right, there is only one God. But don't confuse just reciting your creed with faith. If all you do is say your creed twice a day, but it doesn't lead you to action, you've stopped short of faith. He says, in fact, the demons even believe, um, agree with your creed. Demons have correct doctrine, but they don't have trust. And so they don't have saving faith. Verses 20 through 26 uh, James concludes his argument here by giving us two examples from the Bible of people whose faith led them to action. He begins with Abraham. Um, Abraham's story is found in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And in chapter 12 of Genesis, God called Abraham. In chapter 15, God gave promises to Abraham and established a covenant with Abraham. In chapter 17, God commanded Abraham to be circumcised as a sign of that covenant. And in chapter 22, God commanded Abraham to offer his son Isaac on the altar. Now, if you know the story, Abraham was willing to follow through on that command, and then God stopped him before he actually followed through. And so here, James is inviting us to consider Abraham's 
whole life in totality. In verse 23 of James 2, James quotes a verse from Genesis chapter 15. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's, that's Genesis 15, 6. When Abraham trusted in God's promises to him, God considered that faith as righteous in God's sight. It's another way of saying that Abraham was made right with God or made righteous or justified before God by his faith in the promises of God. And Paul quotes this exact same verse from Genesis chapter 15 in both Romans and Galatians to show that Abraham was made right with God on the basis of his faith alone. Years before Abraham obeyed the command to be circumcised in chapter 17 of Genesis. Years before God obeyed the command to offer up his son Isaac in Genesis 22. Before any of that happened, Abraham believed. And God received that faith. And it made Abraham right with God. And so Paul's point in Romans and in Galatians is that Abraham's faith came first. Followed later, years later, by the works that we read about here. James is making a slightly different point. James is saying when you look at the whole of Abraham's life, from start to finish, Abraham's faith eventually led him to action. The righteousness that was credited to Abraham in Genesis 15 eventually expressed itself in actions in Genesis 17 and Genesis 22. And this leads to verse 24, the verse that bothered Luther so much. Look again at what it says. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Notice that phrase, you see. We, we, we jump over it pretty quickly. But pause on it. Now, that could be a figure of speech. When your friend says something clever, clever and then says, you see what I did there? That's using the phrase you see as a figure of speech to mean, uh, did you pay attention? But this phrase you see can also refer to literally seeing something with our eyes. Like, did you see that car that just cut me off? That's literally seeing it with your eyes. And I think that's what James means here. You literally see another person's faith through what they do, through their actions. See, only God can see faith. I can't see your faith. You can't see my faith. We can only see actions. What people do. What they say. How they treat each other. The decisions they make. See, James emphasizes what we see. Paul emphasizes what God sees. The second example of Rahab makes the same point. Rahab's story is found in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute who lived in the city of Jericho. And when the Hebrew spies came to Jericho to scope out the city, Rahab recognized that they were sent by God. And she trusted in the God of Israel, even though she wasn't a Hebrew. And she sheltered and hid the spies and sent them out. And after Jericho fell, Rahab and her family joined the people of Israel. And she became part of the family tree of Jesus. Like Abraham, Rahab expressed her faith in action. So let's consider three ways this passage applies to us here at Glenkirk today. 
First, real faith inspires us to action. Always and every time, a real faith will inspire us to action. Again and again, our faith will lead us to action. And that action won't need to be forced. It won't need to be coerced. It will be inspired. And ironically, Martin Luther, who didn't like this passage, he understood this. In his uh, introduction to the book of Romans, Luther said, faith doesn't ask whether works are required, but before someone can even ask the question, faith has done them. Real faith inspires us to action. And it bears the question of why are there so many people around us today who say that they're Christians, but who don't have actions in their lives? I mean, nearly three out of four Americans say that they're Christians. When they, when they take the survey, that's the box they check on the survey. And yet in many cases, you'd never know it by how they live. In some cases, we're talking about people who have knowledge and agreement about Jesus, but who've stopped short of trust in Jesus. And I've met lots of people who believe all the right things about Jesus, who agree with what the Bible says about Jesus, but they've never taken the step of trust to enter into the relationship. A couple of years ago, I met a woman in her 70s who had been attending church her whole life, been a member of that church for years and years. And as we met, she realized that she had never taken the step of trust until that moment. Other times, I think the reason is the church. I think churches have often become so focused on entertaining people or, or on politics or on telling people what they think people want to hear that they're not talking about what it means to trust Jesus, authentic faith that leads to action. And in these cases, faith has been reduced to getting a, a ticket, a ticket to heaven that I can fold up and put in my pocket and save it until I need it. But that kind of faith doesn't make a difference in how we live our lives each day. What kinds of actions will faith inspire us to? Well, well, throughout James, he's focused on obedience to God's Word and loving other people. Being a doer of the Word instead of a hearer. Caring for the vulnerable. Treating people without favoritism. Loving our neighbors. Meeting practical needs when we're able a real faith will always inspire action. Second, real faith always builds on good doctrine. It always builds on good doctrine. When, when James cites that creed in verse 19 that the Jewish people recited each day, it's not because he's against doctrine or against creeds. He just doesn't want us to stop there. One of the things I appreciate about our Reformed tradition is our creeds and confessions that we have. And the two most basic are the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. And these creeds and confessions are not infallible. They're, they're not perfect. They stand under the authority of the Bible. But they're good and reliable guides for good doctrine. Because there's a lot of bad doctrine out there these days especially on social media and cable TV, are filled with bad doctrine. And many Christians aren't familiar enough with good doctrine to know bad doctrine when they hear it. 
According to George Barna, in a recent poll, only 6% of American Christians have developed a Christian worldview. We can call that sound doctrine on life. 6%. A real faith always builds on good doctrine. And then finally, third, real faith always leads us to risky obedience. Real faith will lead us to risky obedience. That's what Abraham and Rahab have in common. They're examples of people who express their faith at risk to themselves. Abraham was ready to sacrifice his future by lifting his son Isaac as an offering, and Rahab risked her life to, to shelter the Hebrew spies. And in both cases, their faith led them to actions that could have cost them. Obedience to Jesus is easy when it doesn't cost us anything. I mean, it's, it's easy to talk about loving our neighbors when we surround ourselves with people who we find are lovable. It's easy to talk about forgiving people when the, the, the worst thing a person does to harm us is cut us off on the freeway. I mean, that's annoying, but it's not life-changing. It's easy to talk about loving our enemies when we don't have any enemies. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about obedience that doesn't risk anything, and he calls it cheap grace as opposed to costly grace. A real faith will lead us to risky obedience to Jesus. Many people today love the Bible, the idea of the Bible, more than they love what's actually written inside. They love the book, leather-bound, and all that it symbolizes to them about morality and godliness and the past. They love the fact that the Bible gives us the Ten Commandments, even if they can only name five or six of them themselves. But they don't really know, or sometimes even don't care to know, what's actually written inside. The promises, the words, the commands, the stories, the doctrines. And I hope here at Glenkirk, as, as an evangelical church, that we're a church that loves what's inside the Scriptures. And not just the idea of it. Because we believe that it's God's Word, that it gives us everything we need to live life. And when a passage really bothers us, like this passage bothered Luther, that we be people who surrender to the teaching of the Bible rather than looking for loopholes in a passage that bothers us or ignoring the parts that might make us uncomfortable. And we want to be a church where our faith in Jesus is a kind of faith that leads us into action a church that doesn't settle for just knowing the right things about Jesus or reciting the right creeds, but a people filled with men and women and students and children who actively trust in Jesus with a living faith and who don't keep that faith to themselves, but who share it with their friends and neighbors and their community and the world. Because faith without works is dead. And a church without a faith that works will die too. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words of Scripture. Thank you for the book of James. And we confess that sometimes things that we read in your word bother us. 
And Lord, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper today, and as we listen to Joseph play a piece, may that music lead us into a moment of reflection that we might look at our own lives and say, have we settled for knowledge and agreement and stopped short of trust? That we might take the bread and drink of the cup today, not just knowing the truth, not just believing the truth, but trusting in you that we might receive grace and strength and courage and love to live the way that you've called us to. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.